Welcome to the Pulse Podcast, personal conversations about life, leadership, and legacy with inspiring founders, entrepreneurs, and leaders of industry. I am R. Adam Smith, founder of Wisdom Board. I am pleased to host this podcast episode. Wisdom Board is a fast-growing digital leadership platform powered by curated content, blue chip services, valuable human capital resources, and an expansive expert network. Wisdom Board is dedicated to empowering excellence for private companies at the board level. Today, we are joined by Sandra Campos, the CEO of Project Vert and several other companies and a good friend of mine. Sandra, welcome to the Wisdom Board Pulse podcast. Hi, Adam. Thank you. Thanks for having me and thanks for continuing to always be such a great leader and inspiring us to do more and more and more because you seem to be able to have about 28 hours in your day. <laughs> Thank you. Well, it's, uh, you know, some meditation and, and red wine and good, good diet, uh, and amazing wife is, uh, really good to know. Solution. Yeah. So, um, let's take you back, uh, in time to, uh, let's say some good polo jeans back in the nineties. Uh, tell us a bit about yourself and sort of part of your career, uh, path. Goodness. Well, first of all, it'll go back, back because as I think through why I am where I am and and what has kind of led me here. It really started out as in my youth because I grew up in Texas, first generation Mexican-American. My family, my father had tortilla factory and the rest of, well, not the rest, but several members of his family also had tortilla factories. So I worked in a tortilla factory from middle school until high school where when they needed to get product out because they had deadlines to hit, they were selling grocery stores and restaurants and they also had a retail shop in the front of the tortilleria. We, we were there. We were there evenings, after school, weekends, et cetera. And I used to work on different assembly lines. I worked in the warehouse. So now that I look at it, I'm like, oh, wow, logistics was actually always part of my world. I really kind of always had uh, an affinity towards manufacturing, production, logistics, and obviously retail. So fast forward, I had an interest in fashion and I left Texas to move to New York to be in the fashion industry. And because I knew I wanted to be a CEO, I and I wanted to be a president or CEO of companies, the opportunities that that existed in the presidents at the time were all coming out of wholesale sales. So I, I went into that direction while I started out in buying and had opportunities that were giving me more exposure to different aspects. This was when we had a lot more retailers than exist today. I did end up going into the wholesale and sales organizations and leading sales organizations, which led me to, to leading businesses overall. And, uh, you know, I've been doing that for quite some time. I've had both corporate experience as well as entrepreneurial experience, as you know, and my, my corporate experience has been with amazing brands like Polo Ralph Lauren, like Oscar De La Renta, like Donna Karen, DKNY and others. And so it's, I've been really lucky and fortunate to be able to have great experience, great exposure and great leaders that I've worked under and learned from. And also from my entrepreneurial stance, well, one, the big one that I had with a business partner, Tony Malolo, he and I created a celebrity brand management company. 
and we went to CAA. It was 2009. We went to CAA with an idea for a business model that was around celebrities and getting them into retail. This was, there weren't there been many at the time. And they said, great, who do you want? And we said, we want Selena Gomez. <laughs> And she was 15 at the time. So they were like, okay, what do you want to do with her? And we ended up I think up you creating, were early. You were early then. We were we were early, but we created an amazing six-year property that ended up having 14 different licensees. That's great. I remember that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and it was exclusive within Kmart in the States. And then so during that time, because mm. you know, remember back then, and this is, you know, it feels like forever ago, but at the same time it wasn't there was no Instagram. There was only Facebook. Yeah, before the DTC there, engine was so powerful. Exactly. So there were a lot of brick and mortar retailers, department stores, and e-commerce was really just starting. So that's kind of what started my own fire and my own interest in digital and digital acceleration and transformation and understanding more about authenticity of messaging and content and consumer and audience. And I was able to really learn a lot of that with Selena and under that. So during that six-year time period, I started getting focused on that. And then from there went into Global Brands Group, which I had responsibility for six of those women's brands, which was basically half a billion dollars of the revenue and created kind of a center of excellence for e-commerce, where we had the everything from the photography all the way to digital marketing uh, within the organization so that we could really centralize everything and accelerate how we were platforming the e-commerce business for all the brands that we had. And then did the same thing when I went to be the CEO of DVF, I am on Furstenberg, which was right. really about taking a... Now, how did that happen? Because DVF, like many fashion uh, singular brands, have uh, can be quite cyclical and traditionally also very wholesale driven. I, I noted that you um, and uh, and Diane and, and Barry and your other partners, you did, you did go through some transformation in some of these brands over time. So talk a bit about the relationship with the owners, the founders, the boards, like... What's it like to go through those transformations and those cycles, particularly, of course, in a higher beta industry like fashion? Well, you're 100% right. There is a cycle and every brand has its its time, right? And the brands that, just going back to GBG for a second, the brands that I had were Juicy Couture, BB, BCBG, et cetera. And those were brands that were really popular late 90s, early 2000 era. And they had, you know, they were under founder business, founder-led businesses and either went through bankruptcy or were acquired. And we had brand management companies that we were working with as the licensee, but day-to-day -day operator of those brands and businesses. And the goal was to bring them back to relevance. And how do you do that? Well, there's a lot of different things that go along with that, but it's really starts with the branding and the messaging and the community building and the, the product, obviously, which product is key when you're in fashion. And so the focus was really about that and bringing those to create a more powerful dynamic community that really embraced that product. Um, one of those creative directors who was actually my creative director for BB, his name is Nathan Jenden. He was Diane's creative director during the 2000 to 2010 time period in which her business skyrocketed because she was at the time one of the first contemporary businesses and they were doing so much print and it was sexy and you know everything Diane is and stands for. And so he was going back to DVF and said, you know, you need to come meet her. So he made the introduction to Diane. And what was powerful for me in making that decision in going to DBF was because I had, had obviously years and decades of experience with brands, but I wanted to have a brand that had a purpose. 
and something that was much deeper than just being a name on a label. And with DBF, it was that. It was about empowering women and sharing inspiring confidence. And there was the ability to take a very wholesale traditional business and bring them more to the digital forefront because I knew that we needed to go there. We needed to get there. And we had the entrepreneurial backing. Diana's very uh, motivated and very modern in her thinking and was absolutely always about like, we've got to become more D2C. We need to be more focused on how we get to the consumer online because everybody's shopping online, you know, and, and it's something that she inherently wanted. And so we were able to really go quickly, make some things happen. And we, we had to do a lot of transformation and that in transforming those businesses to become more e-com oriented, it starts with photography and it goes all the way down to strategy on digital marketing and acquisition and and speaking about her as well as an icon, you've worked with her and for her for several years. I know I remember that she began as as a photographer's agent, uh, of course, on the on the the image side of, of fashion being critical. Um, and look where she is now. And she said one of her advice uh, to to others, I think, in an, in an article was that she. Um, you know, she believes that you have to be the first one to come and the last to leave. And she's very driven like, like you are as well. Um, I think in your own, your own interview, um, uh, I think last year with CNBC, you said that you did always envision having big success in your life. Um, you have also, I think you're, you're come from a large family, right? Five or six children. So talk a bit about that upbringing of being part of a big family and, you know, how do you, connect that large family nurturing network to the type of environments that you're building or part of in the corporate world? Wow, that's a, <laughs> that's a big one. I mean, first of all, I don't know that I appreciated being a part of a big family when I was growing up in it. I was the second one. I was driving. I grew up in Texas, so mind you, it was a different time. But I was driving my siblings around, the younger ones, when I was 13 years old. <laughs> I started driving when I was 11, actually. It's fun. There you go. Yeah. So, you know, my, my parents were both entrepreneurs and they were building a business and they had all these kids running around. So we had to do what we needed to do to take care of ourselves. But, you know, as a very, I would say overall, one of the things that I feel is really important about the Latino community, Hispanic community, is the fact that it is community. There is, it's all about family and it's all about the extended exactly. family in your community. And I think that that really applies to how you manage yourself in business, but also certainly what we think about today as it relates to brands and the purpose aspect and the mission driven brands and how you build those communities. And you really, you know, you take that message and you spread it out and you bring people that are like-minded together. And I think that's really something that I, I can absolutely um, connect with because of my upbringing. And, you know, there's nobody that has better parties. Well, maybe the Greeks have great parties too, but Latinos <laughs> are great with parties. Yeah. And did you go blonde when you were in Texas or did you stay brunette? Uh, no, I just had big permed hair in Texas and it's always a different makeup. country, different country. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think I still have some Justin boots somewhere. They're quite comfortable by now. So let's talk about omni-channel strategy and building brands, building scale, uh, building the customer, the lifetime value of the customer kind of love, love to hear your thoughts on, on Vert and other, um, businesses that you're building and part of, um, in terms of the woman customer, uh, or the Latin customer, just maybe share a bit about how you're approaching the client these days. 
Well, so fast forward through, you know, through the pandemic when everything started, we at DBF had to make some changes, obviously make some real big decisions in terms of what the business model will be for the future. I left there last June and was asked to be on the board of a company called Project Vert. And they had approached me a couple of years ago while I was at DVF. They had built a marketplace and they wanted to create a marketplace that we were a part of. Um, I, While I didn't think it was the right thing for us at the time, I really liked the founder, kept in touch with her. And she's one of two founders, uh, Jane Gole is her name, and kept in touch. And over time, you know, as we were talking about the business and what she was doing, I was realizing that there's this great opportunity to yet again, make them change. And they had a vision, she and her partner, Amir, had a vision several years ago that they're real estate developers. They saw the change coming from brick and mortar to digital. They wanted to be a part of it. They had a dream for micro-fulfillment centers as well. So they created this business and started developing technology that was going to support scaling businesses and brands online. So while we've been for many years, you know, talking about Omnichannel, it's actually now unified commerce. So as we move forward, you know, Omnichannel was like, how do you take your brick and mortar stores and your online and create a seamless journey? Well, that was when we actually had brick and mortar stores. Now we've got a lot more online marketplaces to be a part of. So you have so many different consumer touch points. We're calling it unified commerce. It's not a term that everyone's using yet, but what that is for us is really being able to connect seamlessly across your existing platform, whether it's a Shopify store, Demandware platform, whatever else you're on, and across all the different marketplaces, whether it's Nordstrom, whether it's Farfetch, Zulily, Amazon, Walmart, et cetera, being able to have visibility at one time and one place for all of your sales and your inventory and being able to make decisions via AI that tell you where to place your inventory, when you need to place it there, and to make sure that it's closest to the customer for speed and for accuracy. That's amazing. I mean, back in 2010, we were all uh, in marveled around the Gilt um, platform and then moved into Rolla, moved into uh, Net-A-Porte, Ukes, Moda Operandi, of course. Um, and, and now there's the whole other side of it with Shopify. Um, for our listeners, like, how do you explain Project Vert relative to, say, a, a Shopify, for example? So we are actually the back end. We are we supply solutions for supply chain and for retailers on the back end. We don't do anything with the front end. We will take your Shopify store in and help you enhance that across demand channels. So that's one part of it. We also have built an operator built WMS warehouse management system and a distributed order management system. So a DOMS at, that all connect to our unified commerce platform and are really modern and have tremendous capabilities with AI as well. They're cloud-based, they're operator built. And we, you know, the back end of e-commerce hasn't been modernized as much as the front end. If you look at the front end options, they're endless, right? There's so many different software companies out there and, and so many different tools for conversion and customer loyalty and X, Y, and Z, but there really aren't that many on the back end. So that's where we come in with really great solutions that will help enhance e-commerce capabilities on the supply chain side. We actually also have a physical fulfillment center. We have two. We have one that's in urban Atlanta, and that's a smaller that's a smaller hub. And then we have a large 750,000 square foot center outside of Atlanta. And so in both of those, there are pilot, there are test case scenarios where we actually 
prove out all of our technology. So every single brand that's there that's shipping out is utilizing our DOMS, our WMS, and our unified commerce platforms. We're able to enhance features. We're able to really work with our customer success team to ensure that we're kind of holding the hands of all the customers walking through demand channel listings and enhancing all of those capabilities. I love it. Um, on a personal note, um, tell us about your favorite tortilla type. It's always flour oh, every day. Okay. And believe it or not, I still eat flour tortillas every day. Yeah, really good. It's crazy. Yeah. I have not been able to get away from them. Yeah. And uh, also, um, would you like to share with our listeners anything about uh, your passion for nature and horses and the uh, sugar bear farm up uh, in upstate New York? Oh, thank you. Well, I, I bought a farm upstate a couple of years ago before I ever thought that I would be here full time. It was a weekend farm. And I, because I grew up in Texas and my grandfather had a ranch in Mexico, I was always around horses, donkeys, farm animals, et cetera. And so I knew I wanted one, but then when I came upstate, then I started actually really learning about rescue horses and the kill pens and all the tragedy that goes around horses, whether they're abandoned, mistreated, or they're sent to slaughter for financial reasons. We, while they can't be slaughtered in the U.S., they do get shipped out to Canada or Mexico. And there's a lot that that's really heartbreaking, actually. Um, so what I have is I have Sugar Bear Farm, which is a sanctuary for horses, rescue horses that we take. And they come from all different places, whether they're um, sheriff's cases, animal control cases. They're either I have horses here that were being mistreated in farms in Pennsylvania. I've got some that were on their way to slaughter that we kind of intercepted those on their way from Connecticut. And then we've got a couple that came who just were abandoned. Um, and, you know, they're just really, they're amazing creatures. They're, they love really hard. They're really great. Um, I personally love them, obviously, but there's, it's just one of the small impact that I hope I can make within that part and trying to also raise some awareness around the fact that we need to be able to protect horses from this pipeline, this pipeline that's really only sending them to slaughter. And there's just a lot of people out there making money in that industry that somehow I hope to be able to stop at some point. Yeah. That's the big goal. I like that. I grew up with horses as well and in Missouri on a farm and had my own uh, horse Western writing. So I appreciate that very much. Yeah, so you yeah. know that very, yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, lastly, a plug for you. Congratulations on being uh, nominated uh, as one of the top most influential Latinas. Que bueno para ti. Es muy, uh, muy fuerte. <laughs> So moving on to um, the end of the podcast, we want to thank you for joining today. Hope you had fun and, and of course, uh, wish you well on Project Bird. Anything last uh, words about uh, the company, where you're going and what we should be keeping an eye out for? Well, the only other thing I will say is that uh, I'm also launching Fashion Launchpad, which came in similar to you when you started Wisdom Board last summer, I also had an idea to bring continuing education and create a platform for fashion and retail. So Fashion Launchpad will be launching in Q2 of this year. It is micro courses, video courses on demand taught by industry leaders that will range in, across all disciplines and functions within fashion and retail. And it's going to be really exciting, very impactful, and it'll help democratize learning and education and knowledge, which will create more confidence in everyone. Good. Well, Sam, it's been a pleasure to include you today as a guest in our podcast series. I've enjoyed learning 
more about you and your career experiences and interests and successes. Sandra, it was really a treat to speak with you today. We look forward to staying in touch with you and watching your continued success. Thank you, Adam. Pulse is a digital collection of personal conversations with respected private company experts. Pulse listeners enjoy enlightening lessons, wisdom, and journeys of interesting people. Pulse is a production of Wisdom Board, a trusted leadership brand dedicated to empowering private companies to achieve excellence in the boardroom. Wisdom Board lives on LinkedIn and online at wisdomboard.co. Please subscribe to our podcast, available on all major channels, including Apple, Google, and Spotify. I am R. Adam Smith, founder of Wisdom Board. Thank you for listening to the Wisdom Board Pulse podcast.